from November 15, 1966 to December 15, 1967, many strange reports came in in Point Pleasant, West Virginia about a humanoid creature which many couldn't explain. It was rumored to be a bird-sized creature with wings and red eyes. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruise Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of the Mothman. Man, I suck at this, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I didn't, but I do. We only have... I try. We only work one day a week. I mean, you're not out there in radio land just... Throwing your cunning linguistic <laughs> skills everywhere. I'm, I mean, this suck. I suck, man. I'm not good at this. I'm just glad that you are, and you really just, you know, you keep the 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 wheels. Home fires burning. <laughs> I was actually thinking of that, but I didn't want. I was trying not to say. Let's it. date ourselves right there. That's some fucking Ronnie Millsap, man. That's a timeless classic. Panty dropper back in the day. Blind. Panty dropper. But he, yeah, he could hear them panties hit the floor. Katoosh. <laughs> well, thank you, though. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, doing the research and actually being the one to talk. <laughs> all right so big thing i was trying to cut a reel but uh your presence interrupted it yeah. so we have finally after a, almost two weeks gotten our I'm, I'm just throwing you in there with me but uh stuff together we have switched um hosting sites we have yes we have we are no longer having to pay that's uh a big plus i didn't even know we were paying but the thing I got to looking at the, our previous uh, the, the the amount you can tilt that the little out. oh I can apparently oh. no you you just said I hate you now tilt it now tilt it uh. oh, look in there well I'm sorry <laughs> now it's like right in your mouth <laughs> big blue fuzzy now thing I right can, in his mouth now I can you know mouth breathe in it. Yeah. <laughs> Clear your nostrils. <laughs> Let all the people out in Radio Land God, know that you got sinus problems. I swear, I would be <laughs> mad at you if that was not like, like spot on though. Whoa, you whew, you hit the nail. On so that. off air, I convinced Coach that if we were both Division One football coaches, that uh, I would be taking the LSU job over yeah, the Florida job. A gentleman that I happened to uh, went to high school with uh, by the name of Billy Napier is apparently going to turn down LSU to take the Florida job. And off air, I convinced Coach that historically he would be better off staying in the great state of Louisiana. I I love – I really do love Louisiana. I do too. Every time I've been there, I've had a great time. People with me may May not have. May not have. But that's not why you're there. (laughs) You're there to have a good time. Yeah. People (laughs) with me may have, you know. Thoughts twice about going somewhere with you? Yeah, they that everyone that's been to Louisiana with me will not go back to Louisiana with me. Well, you know, hey, <laughs> everybody should experience it once. Yeah, I love. I mean, come on, Mardi Gras, yeah. Bourbon Street. There was a vampire down there. I heard you had drinks with. That 
was a good story. I don't know how the hell that happened, but it did. We, we're not too sure if he was an actual blood vampire, but I'm pretty sure he, he wanted, wanted to kiss to and suck, suck on something. something. He did. <laughs> he, I was very flattered by that gentleman. And, and kind of like Rodney Carrington says, uh, that's something you just don't try. No, I mean, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who At knows? the time, who knows what? he might could have convinced you. He was so complimentary. <laughs> he... <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right so we have a new patron we Mr. do yes we, we do. also have a five-star review yes we do yes we do i mean we have if we keep getting patrons man we're gonna be rich i don't know about all that i mean if they do the right tier now that is true if they do that right tier now um one thing is the app for Patreon absolutely is horrible. So let me go to the actual web address so that I can do this man's name justice. I'll just continue to mouth breathe. There you go. I mean, when in doubt. You want me to go ahead and read the first air review? Um, no, because I, I got him right here. At the $3 tier, we have Mr. Robert Heaton. He did not uh, allow any address to be shared, so I don't know where he hails from, but... When he lets us know, he'll be getting a sticker. I like our stickers. They're pretty good. They are good quality. Good. They don't. They're hard as heck to get off a of Yeti. Yeah, they are. And that goo gone says it'll take anything off. Well, it won't take the adhesive in our stickers <laughs> off. I can guarantee you that. Goo gone? Yeah. It don't work on the other goos, but it works on most goos. <sighs> we are drinking... Mothman Black IPA from the great people at Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company. It's actually pretty good, but he's just I not into it, the black IPA. Yeah, I just kind of think it went down wrong. I'm a big fan of any beer. And even bad beer, he'll continue yeah, to drink. Like, if you give me a beer, I'll drink it. I don't care what it is. I may bitch about it. I might be like, oh, this is terrible, but I will continue. <laughs> to drink until there is no yeah, more. So this is a weird, I don't I don't want to mispronounce. It's Jim Bobby Godten. I don't know if Jim Bobby it it's it just has one B though. I mean, it's supposed to be B O B B Y, right? Or I E. It is Jim Bobby. B-O-B-Y. It's work strange. Anyway, Jim Bobby got 10. He said, my favorite podcast. Just love listening to y'all. Cutting up, making fun of one another and others. LOL. And a good story every week. Oh, and a suggestion. Can we hear about the Mothman through y'all's perspective? I would love that. Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks for the great podcast. As a matter of fact, if you didn't gather from what we're drinking, we're going to talk about the Mothman, which is the one of the strangest things you'll ever hear. And to be honest with you, uh, there's probably 17 different rabbit holes we can go down, and we may chase some rabbits. But well, I mean, we got to talk about Andrew Cole and John Keel, and we got to talk about John Keel. We got to talk about the 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 bridge. We got well, there's a lot of stuff we got to talk yeah, about. Yeah, there is. There's a whole lot of stuff. But according to the West Virginia Department of Commerce, Mothman was first seen 
on November the 12th, 1966. Five men were digging a grave near the town of Clinton and <laughs> Clinton in. Yeah. yeah, Clinton, West Virginia, when they spotted a strange creature in a nearby tree. The grave diggers described the otherworldly entity as a, quote, brown human being with wings. And the witness. Brown? Brown. Or round. The color? That's what they said. That's crazy. And the witnesses claimed that after taking off from its perch, the monster flew above their heads. But while that's generally regarded as the first, quote, official Mothman Uh encounter, there are many people that claim that sightings go back decades. According to historian James Gay Jones, the being was seen in the early 1900s right around the time of an unnamed tragic event and that it boasted a wingspan of 12 feet. Mothman then allegedly appeared throughout West Virginia during World War I, and as Jones writes, its, quote, dark reddish feathers, which glistened in the sunlight, cast fear in all who saw it. Well, yeah, it's a freaking flying creature. 12-foot wingspan creature. I mean, if I saw anything with a 12-foot wingspan, I'd probably be scared of it. There'd be some poop in (laughs) in me drawers. Now, the creature then supposedly popped up several times after World War II in one incident described by Aaron Mankey. Two motorists were driving down a highway in 1961 when a gray creature covered in either feathers or fur stepped into the road before flying away. And just days before the grave diggers saw the humanoid thing in 66 a group of National Guardsmen allegedly spotted the brown creature hovering from tree to tree near Point Pleasant, the town that would soon come to know the Mothman. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff online about the Mothman. There's kind of already scurred. There's a History Channel. There's Monsters in America. Anything you can ever think about. Well, there's been a book. There's been a movie. There is a Mothman a, Festival every year. I'd like to go. There's a a, a statue of the Mothman with a really nice ass. Yeah, he's he, very toned. He did a lot of squats. A, yeah, definitely. Definitely didn't skip leg, leg day. Leg day. Legs. He got them legs. <laughs> but what is most creepy? Is what some say is his lair, which is the abandoned TNT factory. Well, of course it is. So three days after showing up at the Clinton Cemetery, Mothman made its second official appearance at said abandoned munitions factory in the woods outside Point Pleasant, known as the TNT area or the TNT plant. The facility closed right after World War II, but by 1966 it served as a Lover's line. Ooh, they out there necking. They was a necking. <laughs> so two married couples, Roger and Linda Scarberry, and Steve and Mary Millett, were driving around the plant late at night on November 15, 1966. Unfortunately, their evening was spoiled when the foursome saw a bizarre creature lurking in the darkness. The beams from their car headlights hit the mysterious creature. Its eyes began to glow red, but at first the eerie 
looking thing didn't pay attention to the couples. The lovebirds, however, were freaking out. So they hammered down on the gas. <laughs> and that's when the beast decided, hey, let's follow. So driving away from the scene, the couple spotted the creature yet again, describing the monster as standing between six and seven feet tall, had wings sprouting out of its back, and it began flying after the car. And a terrified Roger Scarberry claims that even though he was going in, in excess of 100 miles an hour, the Mothman kept up without hardly seeming to break a sweat. Well, it's a supernatural creature. It can clearly... It doesn't sweat. I mean... <laughs> okay. It's a supernatural creature. Of course it can keep up with your car. Of course it can, you know, it's, it can do whatever the fuck it wants. What made it even worse was the creature was emitting a terrifying squeal or squeaking noise. Come on. Come on, Mothman. You don't have to do that. You're scary enough. Yeah. You don't have to squeal. <laughs> it wasn't until the couples reached Point Pleasant that the Mothman... That's just overkill, yeah, in my you opinion. Just, you just went way too... You just t- tried to Timmy Topper yourself. <laughs> so it wasn't until the couples reached Point Pleasant that Mothman disappeared. However, they weren't going to just go home and forget the whole thing. Instead, they went straight to the police department, and when the cops decided to investigate, they supposedly saw something large flying through the air. Soon enough... A local newspaper called the Point Pleasant Register caught wind of the story and published the account under the headlines, Couples See Man-Sized Bird, Creature, or Something. So soon after this November 15th incident, several people began to come forward and claim that they had also encountered the creature. However, there's a bit of a debate about how many witnesses actually saw the winged creature. Now, Lauren Coleman, the... I don't know how you, you would point put this, either infamous or famous, cryptozoologist, believes that around 100 people have seen the Mothman over the course of the 13 months that it was active in 66. Now, there's a skeptic, Brian Dunning, who thinks those numbers are just a bit too high. According to Dunning, who went through local newspaper reports, there were only six or so reported sightings, all of which occurred in November of 1966. Now, some of the witnesses saw the creature standing on the side of the road, while others would spot it standing outside their homes. Oh. Yeah, you can fly. Just don't be outside my house. Yeah, don't do not do it. Don't fly around my house. Yeah. Go fly wherever you want. Just not mine. Just not towards me. So on November 16th, Raymond and Kathy Walmsley, along with their friend Marcella Bennett, saw the monster next to their parked car. Quote, it rose up slowly from the ground, explained Bennett. A big gray thing, bigger than a man, with terrible glowing red eyes, end quote. So, this is a newspaper's dream, because anytime you can put unidentified, crazy headlines, you're going to sell newspapers. An enterprising copy editor from Ohio came up with a name for the creature inspired by Adam West's Batman TV show. He is the one Mothman dubbed it the Mothman. <laughs> Without a doubt, there was something strange going on in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And it does seem that there was an unidentified creature in the town. However, 
Some believe Mothman was more than just a mysterious animal. Some believe it was a supernatural being that somehow inspired vivid nightmares of death and destruction. Now, according to the podcast lore, people in Point Pleasant began experiencing weird dreams in the months after Mothman's 1966 appearance. Really? Some supposedly had visions of Christmas presents floating down the Ohio River, and then there were the nightmares of people drowning. The appearance of Mothman and those crazy dreams were indeed keeping the town on their toes. <laughs> <laughs> on December 15th, 1967, tragedy and the Mothman would make its solidified mark on American history. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. So Point Pleasant is separated from the city of Kanagawa. Is that how you say that? Kanawagua? I have no idea. We're going with Kanagawa. Because I'm sure if I'm you're just from Kanawagawa. Let us know how, are, how you pronounce that. It's the city in Ohio, <laughs> and the Ohio River is between Kanagawa and Point Pleasant. If you need to visit one or the other towns, you have to pass over the quote Silver Bridge. It was built back in 1928. And it was an eyebar bridge which covered in which was covered in aluminum paint. Therefore, that's how it got its colorful nickname, Ooh. the Silver Bridge. Now the structure stood for about 40 years, but on December 15th, 1967, the bridge collapsed into the Ohio River, taking 31 vehicles with it. In total, 46 lives were lost. And the tragedy sparked all sorts of bizarre theories about what happened. It was eventually determined that the bridge fell due to a faulty eye bar, but some suspect a sonic boom was responsible. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Now, others pointed to an old-timey curse from a vengeful Indian chief. Yeah, you don't want that. No. No, 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 no. And it's Native American chief. No, but no. you keep saying Indian, like, but that's just not the term anymore. I'm you sorry, Native old, American chief. You old bastard. I know. I'm. I'm. Uh, what do you What do you call it? I don't old. care. I don't care about people's feelings. No, you're old. Well, that too. That comes with being old. <laughs> you just don't give a shit. Well, I'm just. I'm just saying. We don't need. We piss enough people off. We don't need. It was an indigenous. First Nations chief. There you go. Now, I like that. <laughs> Especially when we're talking about, you know, curses. And yeah, I really don't need to piss that No, one. You're right, man. Yeah. Look at you going. <laughs> you, you definitely need to use the proper pronouns when we're talking about curses. Are you sure? I'm just saying pronouns, pal. Okay. We're back to the pronouns. So the First Nations... Indigenous chief that was referenced by myself here is Chief Cornstalk. And in 1774, I'm not doing his whole name. You can do it if you want to, but it, it's it got like a lot of hyphens. I can't believe I laughed at that. Yeah, I'm you're over here throwing I'm, shade yeah. at me, and now you're laughing at Chief Cornstalk. I hope he visits you in your dreams. Oh. Oof, don't put please. that on me, Ricky Bobby. You know I don't sleep <laughs> anyway, so that's going to suck. So in 1774, there was a fierce battle between 
the Native American tribe and the colonial forces. Oh, yeah? Around 1,200 proud Native warriors of the alliance of Chief Cornstalk clashed with colonial forces at the Ohio River, which is the site of present-day Point Pleasant, West Virginia. The battle was a whirlwind of death and blood. And it became more of a massacre when the native warriors were hopelessly outmatched by the colonial forces' muskets. The natives' arrows and axes were no match to the gunpowder and muskets of the colonial settlers. And when the smoke cleared, there was seven Spanish angels. That is an amazing song. Yes, it is. Actually, there wasn't seven Spanish angels. There was 300 warriors that were dead. That left smoking in his hand. She said, Father, please forgive me. I love that song. Ray Charles and Willie Nelson. You honestly. So when we were, can you think of a better combination? When we were in high school, we said we named that a religious song because it had Willie Nelson, it had Ray Charles, it had death, it had love. I mean, it was a religious country. That song. is a love song. That's a love. I mean, come on. There were seven Spanish angels at the, at the altar of the sun. Oh, I believe and I they mean, were praying for I mean, Ray, the lovers. Ray, at the end of that song, man, he's when getting, he goes, "Wow, wow, wow. what, yo?" <laughs> That is a great song. I'm going to listen to that shit on the way home. So there's 300 dead Native American warriors when the smoke clears. Are we still talking about the Mothman? Yeah, we are. Okay. Somehow we are. All right. So the rest of the Native Americans decided that they would retreat into the fort called Fort Randolph, which was built near the Kanawha and Ohio rivers at their convergent point. There was supposedly another native army looming on the horizon. One of the great leaders was Chief Cornstalk, who realized that a head-on battle with the colonials was futile and suicidal. So he gradually reached out to the white man and formed a peace with them and the other tribes. Now, Chief Cornstalk knew that this was a death wish, that it would mean the slaughter of thousands. And so, again, by reaching out, he was hoping to forego a bloody battle on their sacred lands, choosing to keep his Shawnee nation as a neutral force. Although many of his tribe disagreed with him, with many militant factions threatening to tear the solidarity apart, the British were well into the Revolutionary War at this point. But Cornstalk... Who are they fighting against? Them, their colonials. Oh, man. But Cornstalk felt that he could make a difference, and he did, actually. He had a treaty where he, he managed to arrange at Fort Pitt in 1775 and 1776 the first Indian treaties that were ever recognized by the United States and a negotiation and his oratory skills were unmatched. He meant to do this again in 1777, 
but there were several angry Native nations with their own militant factions that had other plans, and the British couldn't have been happier. So in November of 1777, Native warriors began amassing their forces. Cornstalk and the chief of the Delaware tribe, Red Hawk, made their way to Fort Randolph, seeking to be advocates of peace. They had both lost their taste for war, and this was their last-ditch effort Squelch the upcoming battle. Get your stuff together. I know, I'm I'm bad. (laughs) Rather than be met with open arms, they were taken prisoner by the fort's commander, Captain Arbuckle. And then things went from bad to worse when Cornstalk's son, Ellen Pisco, approached the fort a few days later and was also taken hostage. When two soldiers were attacked, and one was killed by natives after trespassing on Indian land nearby, the prisoners that had been treated fairly were now the eye of revenge by the troops. All right. I'm with you. Although the ones responsible were never caught, the soldiers in the fort killed Cornstalk and his companions in cold blood before they were brought to trial. Now, Chief Cornstalk is said to have cast upon the land with his dying breaths a dark curse. Mm -hmm. And it is said that as he lay on the floor of his cell in a pool of blood, after having been shot eight times, he uttered the following words. I was the border man's friend. Many times I have saved him and his people from harm. I never warred with you, but only to protect our wigwams and lands. I refuse to join your pale-faced enemies with the red coats. I came to the fort as your friend, and you murdered me. You have murdered by my side my young son. For this, may the curse of the Great Spirit rest upon this land. May it be blotted by nature. May it even be blotted in its hopes. May the strength of its people be paralyzed by the stain of our blood. So not long after this, in 1794, the quaint little town of Point Pleasant would be founded right where Cornstalk had died. And in 1840, Cornstalk's remains were disinterred and relocated to the Mason County Courthouse. They were moved again in the 50s and reburied at a park that has a lot of hyphens too, to a with a 12-foot-tall monument to honor him overlooking his grave. In the 1880s, a huge fire destroyed a large part of Point Pleasant. Uh Then in 1907, there was a horrific mining disaster when an underground explosion collapsed the tunnels and claimed the lives of over 360 miners. When they erected the monument of Chief Cornstalk in 1909, a crane working on the 86-foot-tall statue was struck by lightning. And then the statue itself was struck by lightning in 1921 on a clear evening. April 21st of 1930, the Ohio State Penitentiary was ravaged by a fire that would burn prisoners alive in their cells, killing 320 people. In 1913 and 37, the Ohio River experienced catastrophic floods that nearly erased Point Pleasant from the map. 1944 saw 150 people killed in a series of tornadoes that tore through the region, and in 53 there was a horrific explosion on a barge that killed six men. Fast forward to 1967, and the collapse of the Silver Bridge kills 46 people. 
And for those of you that think that it stopped with the uh, Silver Bridge collapse, hold your panties, because in December of 60... Uh, I'm sorry. I am holding my panties. In December of 68, there was a horrible plane crash when Piedmont Airlines Flight 230 fell from the sky at Kanawha Airport along with 35 passengers. Another plane crash occurred November 14, 1970, when a DC-10 smashed into the mountainside near Huntington, West Virginia. Uh-huh. In March of 76, the Mason County Jail at Point Pleasant was a target by the husband of one of the inmates, Harriet Sisk, blew himself, his wife, and three police officers up in a suitcase bomb. In 78, a train carrying toxic chemicals derailed at Point Pleasant, contaminating the water supply. That same year, 51 construction workers were killed at the nearby town of St. Mary's when the scaffolding collapsed. The supposed curse was supposed to only last 200 years. But there are tales that not only the deaths that we have discussed were part of the curse, but also some high strangeness that includes UFOs and men in black. Dun, dun, dun. See how I did that? I tied it right into Ingrid Cullen. Uh, yeah, you did good, man. Look at me. Look at me. Well, let's talk about him. So the UFOs and men in black lead us now into the story of Ingrid Cold. Which is a kick-ass name. But a strange, strange entity. Now he's not directly connected to Mothman, but he had his story has been interwoven into the whole s- situation at Point Pleasant. I mean, I think it's connected. Do you not think it's connected? Well, I was saying that it's kind of Scorsese in it. <laughs> no, I do. I really do. I agree with you. Indrid Cold, also known as the Grinning Man, because he grins. I swear. That's. I mean. It's not a great nickname, <laughs> but it's accurate. They could have called him anything, but they called him Grinning Man. Come on. So there was a man named Woodrow Derenberger. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Yeah. But everyone called him Woody. And shortly after 6 p.m. in the evening, Woody was driving home from his job as a sewing machine salesman at J.C. Penney's in Marietta, Ohio, to his home in Mineral Wells, West Virginia. As Derenberger, or Woody, came up to the intersection of I-77 and Route 47, he thought that a tractor-trailer truck was tailgating him without its lights on, which was extremely unnerving, so he swerved to the side of the road. And much to his surprise, the truck took flight. What? And seemed to roll across his panel truck To his astonishment, what Woody thought was a truck was actually a charcoal-colored UFO without any lights. It touched down and then hovered about 10 inches above a berm on the side of the road. What's a berm? Kind of like a... What the hell's a berm? Have you ever seen, like, rice fields... Where they keep the there's a berm around the field that keeps the water in. No, I it's don't a, know what that means. It's an earthen mound. So it's, it's like about twenty so like something so inches tall. Oh, okay. I was thinking trench for some reason, but it's the opposite. Yes, berm. It's a berm. There you I go. I got it. 
You got it. Now? I'm with you. Okay, man. good, good. I'm with man. you. Man. We are, you are learning so much today. I mean, that's a, it's an educational podcast. It is. It is. It really is. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> much to Woody's surprise, a hatch opened on the UFO, and a man stepped out, looking like any other man that you would see on the street. Except he got out of the UFO. So yes. <laughs> He's not. He's not just any man. No, he's not. <laughs> I'm. Re- I'm really contributing today. You are killing it. Yeah. Now he may look like every other man it's on like, the street. Hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he was dressed in dark clothing and had a beaming smile. The man proceeded to walk toward Woody's panel truck. Uh huh. And when he did, the craft took off, and then. Stopped about 40 feet in the air where it began to hover above the highway. What happens next scares Woody to death because as the man appeared and came towards his truck, Woody hears the words, do not be afraid. I mean, you no harm. I only want to ask you a few questions. Nah, that would automatically make me afraid. Anytime, like, don't be afraid. Fuck you. It's over. Too I've already late. been there, done that, buddy. I'm I'm <laughs> full chalant in the afraidness. So just like Coach said, Woody is afraid because as the man spoke to Woody, his lips were not moving. Oh, hell no. I ain't dealing with no ventriloquist in the dark. The man moved <laughs> to the opposite side of Woody's truck and told him to roll down his window. Jeff, Jeff Dunham better not approach me at night. I will not be receptive towards you. Uh, I don't give a damn about your Jose Jalapeno, you son of a bitch. You move those lips. Move your lips. <laughs> so as so as he rolls the window down, Woody hears Indrid's words, and now they say, quote, now you can speak and you can think. It makes no difference. I can understand you either way. So when Woody was questioned on a local live television show, he was scrutinized over what seemed to be a contradiction because if the dark man communicated through a type of mental telepathy, why would Woody need to roll down the window to talk? Wouldn't it just be easier to talk mentally? Now, Woody... Well, it's just, you know, polite. Even if we're speaking telepathically, it would be nice if there was not a barrier between us. I just think that that's a normal, polite, polite thing to do. <laughs> Even for UFO it aliens. We- it sounds weird when you say it, but how, why wouldn't you? You know? True. But Now, Woody explained that it was because Indrid wanted to look directly at him as they spoke, and he felt that really Indrid wasn't so interested in what was said, but more interested in keeping up communication with him. Now, to Woody, that seemed the entire point of all of it. He also noted that when Indrid stared into his eyes, it was as if he knew everything about Woody. And also, if he could only let go of his fear and do the same, he felt he could also know and understand everything about Indrid. In any event, Indrid spoke through the passenger side window the entire time. Now, the physical description of Indrid was Woody describing him as approximately 35 years of age, having a trim-built, 
around six foot tall, weighing 185 pounds, with dark eyes, dark hair, slick straight back. Yeah, if you look him up, the the artist renditions of him are not flattering. They're actually quite terrifying. Yeah, they are. But from everything that I've read or heard is that he was, you know, he's polite, he's nice, and he doesn't hurt anyone. So I'm saying they should have just drew him better. Yeah, they should have. <laughs> now, Indrid was described by Woody as wearing a long, dark coat, and beneath the coat was a what he called a uniform that glistened. He also, Indrid, had a tanned complexion, but throughout the conversation, he kept that frozen smile and curiosity about his face. He also hid his hands beneath his armpits most of the time. Huh. Okay. Yeah. That is an odd uh, observation, but okay. Now, according to Woody, Indrid pointed to the city lights over the hills towards Parkersburg and asked him, Hold up, Parkersburg. Quote, what do you call that over there? And Woody said, why, that's Parkersburg, and we call that a city. Indrid responded with, where I come from, we call it a gathering. Like magic? I don't know. Magic the Gathering? Indrid later added a curious statement, quote, I come from a place less powerful than yours, end quote. That's a strange statement. You just got here in, an, in a UFO, dude. Yeah, I'm pretty. it's pretty powerful. Yeah, pretty sure you're way powerful. <laughs> Maybe he just wanted the other guy to feel better. I guess so. Now, according Less intimidating. According to Woody, as they talked, cars passed under the craft, which was still basically about 40 or 50 feet above the road. And according to Woody, the people in the cars passing by were totally unaware that there was a spaceship there. Yeah, I mean... After all... You don't notice certain things when you're driving. There's no lights on it. That's what he he said. Ah, So, okay, yeah. Now, Indrid went on to ask... Definitely harder to see. Ask about Parkersburg. Do people live there or do they work there? Woody said they do both. They live there and work there. So Indrid asked Woody, do you work? And Woody says, yes, I'm a salesman. That's what I do. So he asked Indrid, do you have a job? And Indrid says, yes, I am a searcher. Interesting. Yes. What are you searching for, Indrid? Yeah. So at this point, Indrid kind of realizes that Woody is still scared shitless. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you've got an alien just asking you, where do you work, boy? <laughs> so he then asks him, why are you so frightened? Don't be afraid. We mean you no harm. What's this wee shit? That's what I'm like. Whoa. It was just you just a second ago. Now it's a wee? Oh, I'm definitely scared. And then he utters the words, you will see that we eat and bleed the same as you do. Oh, God, bleed? (laughs) You're not... Not only are you not alone... You're you're not comforting me the way that you think you are, Ingrid. He tries to calm him by saying, we only wish you happiness. Oh, okay. That's better. And supposedly he utters that phrase many more times during the conversation. No, repeating it. Doesn't make it any Doesn't better. Doesn't make it no. com- more comforting. So we want you to be happy. <laughs> that's the way I. That's the way I saw it like, in my head. Like, like, don't be afraid. All we want is for you to be happy. 
Yeah, I'm afraid. Pretty much. Yeah. Not as comforting as you might think. So, while he's being interviewed by WTAP-TV, Woody attributed the puzzling statement to Indrid, quote, at the proper time, the authorities will be notified about our meeting and this will be confirmed, end quote. Uh-huh. So supposedly the entire conversation took between five and ten minutes, and then Indrid looked inside Woody's vehicle with his consistent smile and said, Mr. Durenberger, I thank you for talking to me. We will see you again, end quote. No, not sleeping that night. He ended the conversation with, remember, he says, we will see you again. No. And as soon as he said it, the spaceship it come down to about 10 inches off the road. A hatch opened up, and according to Woody, a human arm extended, pulling Indrid up into the craft. There's the wee part. Mm. The ship then jetted up into the air about 75 feet, made a fluttering noise, and then shot off at a very high rate of speed. For a few moments, Woody sat there stunned. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Looking for Actually, some. Actually, I'd have got the hell out of there. I wouldn't have waited around. That'd have been two movements: physical movement and a bowel movement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're cracking me up. So finally, he starts his car. I'm sorry, his panel truck up, and he drives to his farmhouse in Mineral Wells, where his wife met him at the door. By now, it was shortly before seven o'clock. Mrs. Durenberg said later that Woody, quote, could not have been any whiter if he had been lying in a coffin, end quote. Yeah. He just met an alien that told him he was coming back. <laughs> like, not me. Meeting an alien is going to be scary enough, but when they purposely tell you that they're coming back, yeah, you're going to be scared. So there's varying stories, but supposedly... Either his wife calls the West Virginia State Police or she to tell them something has happened or she calls and hangs up. Mm -hmm. So either way, they come out for uh, to see what's going on. And supposedly in the initial police report, Woody calls him injured, not cold. I'm sorry, calls him cold, not injured. I screwed that way up. You did. Yeah. So he calls him cold, not injured. He would later last name. He would later add the injured. So the next day, Woody attempted to go back to work, but was sidetracked when he agreed to a live television interview about his experience on the previous night with a UFO. Jesus. To the NBC affiliate in Parkersburg. Word spread. Yeah. <laughs> the interview took place shortly after noon when Woody was grilled by veteran reporter Glenn Wilson and the city police chief, Ed Plum, as well as other local law enforcement, including the head of the Wood County Airport. Representatives from Wright-Patterson were also en route to interview Woody. If you don't know what's going on at Wright-Patterson, you're not a fan of this show. I've heard things. <laughs> not good things either. <laughs> I've heard things. So the interview went on for about two and a half hours. The live part of the broadcast was just under an hour, and it continued after the cameras were turned off. During the off-air interview, 
Woody drew a picture of the spacecraft, which he described in his thick West Virginia accent as a charcoal gray with no lights and looking like an old-fashioned chimney lamp. Probably one of the most odd statements that Woody would make about the meeting was that very end statement when he said, and then Indrid said to me, we will see you again. Police Chief Ed Plum asked, do you really believe you will see him again? And Woody says, I think so. I believe I will. I don't really know because that's what I'm afraid of. After the interview, Woody's life would be transformed drastically and not for the better. He changed jobs. He developed marital problems, tried to cling to his church for a while, and then came to realize that none of that was working. And to make matters worse, he started getting visits from strange men dressed in black clothing, which Woody suspected to be some kind of hidden government, group of spies, or even the mafia. He wasn't sure. They just spooked him. They would arrive at his house, ask him simple questions. Some had to do with the UFO experience. And then they would act in a threatening manner. But nothing was as incredible as the return of Indrid Colt. Really? So he, he, he came back like he said he would. Okay, so Woody says that Cold would visit him many times at his house in Mineral Wells. At one point, Woody came up missing for almost six months and said he was, quote, with the aliens. He just, yeah, I would say that shit too. Now, this is when the town became skeptical. Aliens slash girlfriend. (laughs) The sewing machine salesman's tales grew more and more far-fetched. Now, Woody claimed to have been impregnated by the aliens. Huh? You're a man, dude. How do you get impregnated? It goes in your penis. Oh, okay. So in 19... You don't want to know how it comes out. (laughs) Through your butt. Oh, no. No, even... (laughs) Even if it wasn't that. <laughs> Through you pee pee I mean, there's no good answer. <laughs> it just happens. It just falls out, man. One of them kidney stones, but it's a baby. Oh, God in heaven, no. Oh, Lord. All right, so in 67, Woody started, I'm sorry, stated to have visited Indrid's home planet of Lanulos, where its residents walked around wearing no clothing. All right, this guy's just like, he went to a nude beach he's in Italy. T- he's taking it. He said the aliens lived in a galaxy called Ganymede, where everything was peaceful and there was no war. People began to snicker, and I did my best not to make eye contact with you, but <laughs> you was like, "Rura raggy, what?" <laughs> they was naked, and they live on this planet called Ganymede, and it sounds a lot like gonorrhea. <laughs> no, I wouldn't think gonorrhea. But I was definitely thinking about naked. <laughs> uh, what's the difference between naked and naked? You butthole. <laughs> naked means you ain't got no clothes on. Naked means you ain't got no clothes on. You up to something. That's that's really good, actually. I like that. I was just thinking about buttholes. That was from Louis Grizzard. I don't know who that is. You're a damn... Don't say that out loud. We're in the South. They will shoot you. Who the hell is that? He had a article know. or a column in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for years. He did comedy. I'll have to cut all this out. 
No, don't cut it out. He was nobody... Sugar Baker's bro- crazy brother on Designing Women. Who's Sugar Baker? You didn't even watch Designing Women. Why are we friends? I... <laughs> Why would I watch Designing Women? I was a child. Because it was funny? I didn't know anything about that. I was watching WCW. Battlestar Galactica. If you said you didn't watch that, then I, we can't be friends. I've ever. never seen a single. Oh my God! <laughs> it's over. I have, <laughs> I have never in my entire life seen an episode of Battlestar Galactica. How? Because I had I had friends and a don't, social. Don't life. you lie to me. <laughs> I had friends at one point. <laughs> I was talking about the social life, but go ahead. I mean, who sits around watching Battlestar Galactica? Me and eating pizza on my yellow blanket. I have eaten pizza. Not on a yellow blanket. But not on the yellow blanket. There were odd flashing lights in the sky almost nightly. And people were not only stalking... Yeah. Woody's farmhouse, but an area called Boggle Ridge, not far from Mineral Wells, where the aliens were claimed to have landed. Boggle? Mm-hmm. I don't play Boggle. That's a good thing. I'm Yeah, because I'm a terrible speller. So Woody, with his family, moved from the area and stayed away for decades. He returned to Wood County in the 80s and died in 1990. He was finally laid to rest at Mount Zion Cemetery in Mineral Wells, West Virginia. Now, we get to John Keel, and John Keel was not a believer in Woody's UFO story. No, he wasn't. So it's very strange that he would write the Mothman Prophecies book. And he was the subject of the movie Mothman Prophecies, played by Richard Gere. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to be played by somebody in a movie, Richard Gere's not a bad one to be. Woody would be seen in overalls most days, but in the movie, he appears in a suit from time to time in his daily attire. Now, a few elements of his story make it believable, initially, that something weird did happen. Happened. Did happen to him. Did happen. The thing that you have to keep in mind is his account predates the Mothman sighting by 12 days. Woody would have had to have been a prophet to know what was about to happen next, making his story even more extraordinary. His family explains that they believe something of an otherworldly nature initially happened, but he added to the tale to sell books when he published a book called Visitors from Lanulos in 1971. Visitors from what? Lanulos. Lanulos. Okay. I'm guessing that's where Indrid was from? Yeah. He raced down the Mexican tunnel. Said this smoking in his hand. She said, Father, please forgive me. I can't make it without my man. And he knew the gun was empty. She did. And she knew she couldn't win. But her final prior was answered when those rifles fired again. And there was seven Spanish There was seven Spanish angels at the altar of the sun. 
Oh, I believe. And they were praying for the lovers. In the valley of the gun. Well, well, well. <laughs> Dude, he's giving it up, man. When the smoke cleared. And they were thunder from the throne. And seven Spanish angels took another angel home. Y'all, y'all help me now. <laughs> All right, y'all help me. And the choir broke in. That's so good. So now diving into John Keel on December 15th, 1967, roughly a year after the first Mothman sighting. The Silver Bridge collapses. And like we said, it was the result of the bridge collapse was 46 dead. And so Keel has been in the area trying to, I think he was commissioned by Playboy to write an article on the. He kind of ends up there without his knowledge, right? He kind of, he was driving at night and then all of a sudden. He's literally in Point Pleasant. He was like a hundreds, hundreds of miles from where he thought he was. Yeah, and he says that we attract that which we think about. And he, I think about money. I all do too, the and time. I hadn't and been targeted. Never, by it. yeah, it's never come up. No, not once. Not me there. I'm <laughs> right there with you. So he says that he became the target of the phenomenon that was surrounding Point Pleasant, and yeah. it caused him. Many, many headaches and countless bouts of paranoia. Cryptic messages. It's all about you, John. <laughs> cryptic messages kept appearing on his answer machine. He was plagued by strange men in dark suits who drove black Cadillacs. And he discovered that his phone was being tapped and his mail interfered with. Although some of these bizarre incidents were likely the work of the intelligence community, some of them defy logical explanation and instead point to what he called cosmic pranksters or the ultra-terrestrials. Ultra-terrestrials? Yeah. He says these mysterious entities are somehow indigenous to Earth, yeah. yet inhabit a dimension beyond time and physical matter. By shifting up and down through an electromagnetic spectrum, they can materialize and dematerialize as they please. Though they can be either good or evil, they seem to delight in manipulating and tricking humans. Throughout different cultures and periods in history, we've referred to them such by such names as demons, spirits, gods, fairies, angels, and monsters. Encounters with them have spawned entire religion. Mormonism was one of them that he talks on because of the angel Moroni. Moroni. I'm sorry, Moroni. It's Moroni. Who quoted the Book of Mormon to John Smith? Just so you know, and John wrote it down. He was the only one that was able to, you know, kind of like Muhammad. I no, I don't. I don't know much about Islam. Me I took a whole class on it, and the only thing I remember was uh, <laughs> they were talking about. Uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, you know. And my professor, some lady said something about that. And my professor was like, they invented algebra. You're never going to convince them that three equals one. <laughs> I was like, oh, snap. 
That was amazing. Okay, so like Coach said, John becomes lost in West Virginia and inexplicably finds himself in Point Pleasant. Driving in the middle of the night, his car breaks down, and he walks to a nearby house to get help. Now, this is kind of played out in the movie as well. So there's a lot of, what do you call it? Where they Liberties? Yes, liberties from what actually happened and the cinema. Yeah. So basically, he walks to the, a nearby house to get help because his car breaks down. Yeah. And he is not welcomed there very friendly like. No, he actually is held at gunpoint by Gordon Smallwood. Yes. Now, a local police officer diffuses the situation while Gordon explains this is the third consecutive night that John has knocked on his door at 2.30 in the morning. John is like, mm, I don't think so. Uh, this yeah, is the first time I've uh, been here. That's, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> now, Officer Mills tells John that many, thing, many strange things have been occurring in the past weeks, and people have been reporting a large winged creature, a K. A, the Mothman. Yeah, they describe it as a moth. They say it's giant, and it's a moth, and it's a man. Yeah, so moth. I guess they saw his penis. <laughs> <laughs> now, Officer Mills tells John that she's had some strange dreams, one in which the words wake up number 37 was spoken to her. During a conversation with Gordon... He reveals to John that he has heard voices coming from his sink telling him in Denver, 99 will die. While discussing the day's events at a local diner, John notices that the news is showing the story of an airplane crash in Denver in which 99 passengers perished. So the sink was right. Yep. The sink knows the truth. (laughs) The sink was right. So now the next night, Gordon tries to explain that the voices in his head are emanating from Indrid Cold. Gordon calls John and says that he is standing next to Indrid. While John keeps Indrid on the line, Officer Mills checks on Gordon. Indrid gives John details about his life that only he knows, and John tests Indrid with questions that only he could know if he were in the same room with him. John is convinced that Indrid is a supernatural being. Of course he is. He's a freaking alien. <laughs> we talked about this. This is when he is told that there is going to be a great tragedy on the Ohio River. So in the movie, Richard Gere's character, which is John Keel, finds himself waiting for the red light over the Ohio River when the bridge collapses. Yeah. Now, this episode could go on probably for another hour discussing the crazy happenings of the men in black that plague John and Woody. Let's do an hour, man. That's what the people want, right? They want more us. That's all they care about. Okay. (laughs) And by God, we're going to the... Well, I know that that's probably what the people want, and the people can let us know if we could... We need to come back and hit the men in black, because we did do a men in black... I am not hitting the men in black. And we did. I ain't uh, stirring up that hornet's nest. But we could do another follow-up episode on this with the happenings of said men in black. We definitely, we always say that we never do it. It's what the people want. 
Well, I mean, if they demand it, we will do it. So if it's in your demands, we will do it. Yeah. But wrapping a bow around this, we started this off with just the Mothman, which led us down the rabbit hole to John Keel. Yeah, we like not even talked about an the injured, Mothman. <laughs> an injured Cole. But there is supposedly a picture of the Mothman that surfaced after the bridge collapsed of him sitting on the bridge. I have seen that. He is, the Mothman has also been spotted around Chernobyl when... Yeah, like that's the whole mythology thing is that... He is a harbinger of destruction. Yeah, this entity shows up before tragedy strikes because somehow he knows that it's coming. And he's like a, uh, I guess you would say a warning, you know. And those of you that think, ah, that's, that was back at Chernobyl. He's very vague, though. I mean, if you're going to warn me, don't tell me to stay off the fucking bridge. Don't just show up and be like. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad you can't see that. <laughs> he's flapping his arms. But, yeah, don't just show up and be like, I mean, tell me. Be specific. As recent as August of 2019, Chicago O'Hare's International Airport was the site of yet another Mothman sighting. Really? Yes. I did not know. Yeah. Two separate commercial airline pilots have said that they have seen the Mothman. One was on August 8th, 2019 at approximately 6 p.m. The report is as follows. I had flown into O'Hare the previous day and had stayed at a hotel for the night. I was due to fly out at 10 p.m. to the U.K. I was taking the airport shuttle toward the terminal, and as I looked out the window, I saw a large human with enormous wings and glowing red eyes perched upon a rail and looking straight at me. The being appeared to be squatting down on the rail, but had its wings completely open and moved them slowly as he stared at the shuttle bus as we drove by. I knew it was watching me as its head swiveled and followed the shuttle as we passed. Its eyes locked on me the entire time. I was startled, and I'll admit, very scared, not only by this encounter, but the absolute boldness of this thing as it did not move or attempt to hide itself as we approached, knowing that it could be clearly seen. Huh. We passed it on the outside lane and were at our closest approximately 15 feet away from where it was perched. It never once flinched or attempted to hide itself. Oh, that's much better. Fucking much better. It just stayed put and watched as we passed. When we passed, I attempted to look back and see if it was still perched there. I saw nothing and can only assume that it must have flown off when we passed. I have heard the stories of the O'Hare Mothman, or as some have called it, Batman. Batman. But I simply dismissed them as nothing more than fantasy, an urban legend that was associated with an already spooky airport. I mean, who hasn't heard of the weird UFO sightings over O'Hare and the stories of ghosts and whatnot? I haven't. Where it punched the hole in the cloud covering? You ain't heard that story? Uh-uh. What are you talking about? There's a UFO over several days at O'Hare, and it's radio traffic control. It punches a hole in the cloud cover, a circular hole in the cloud cover. Seriously. What? Yes. How did I not hear about that? I don't this? know. It might have been one of those things where is, you were talking to Indrid. Is there a vidya? Uh, I think there is. There gotta be. But regardless of when you, when people talk about this sort of thing, especially a pilot to come forward 
and say stuff like that. It's very credible because they're risking their fucking job. Like, okay, this guy's fucking crazy. He's seeing fucking moth people. Like, take him off the fucking... When you put your job on the line to say things like this, to me, make it extremely credible. When when If a cop comes forward with a freaking Bigfoot story or any anyone that whatever they come forward with if they're putting their job on the line to say it take them seriously so now the the reports at O'Hare I feel like I worded that very poorly but you did <laughs> no I'm just joking you did a good job of articulating really did I, I mean, but that's just what I'm saying like there was a May 31st sighting at O'Hare where a co-pilot said that he saw a large black human-like creature fly up and into the sky while taxiing on the runway. Why is he going to be black? A March 3rd sighting by investigator Manuel Navarrete of a strange flying creature with membranous wings. Membranous? What the fuck does that mean? Don't know. Probably had veins in it. Membranes. Yeah, insane in the membrane. Insane in the brain. (laughs) February 21st sighting by a security guard (laughs) at O'Hare who said he saw what appeared to be a very tall human, but it was solid black with glowing red eyes. A January 23rd report from a man who said he saw an egg-shaped object fly over O'Hare and shine a brilliant blue light to the ground, through which a person appeared to be taken aboard the craft. What the fuck? December the 6th sighting of a red-eyed wing humanoid. The biggest question is how I've not heard any about any of this. This was this was right in my alley. A December third report of a red-eyed flying man from I'm a, very. I'm, I'm literally a co-host of a mysterious podcast, and I don't know these mysteries. What the fuck is wrong with me? I don't know. The December third one of the red-eyed flying man was from several security guards. A November twenty-sixth sighting of a seven-foot-tall person with wings. September 29th, sighting of a toddler-sized bat creature running like a gorilla. Holy, what? That is a weird-ass sentence right there. (laughs) Say that again. A toddler-sized bat creature running like a gorilla. (laughs) Boy, I never... Y'all got any more of that crack? (laughs) I never thought I would hear those words combined into a sentence. But, man, am I glad I did get to hear it. An October 30th sighting of a large-winged human in the Park Ridge area. October 29th of a winged humanoid accompanied by several other beings who disappeared in a flash of blue light. A late October sighting of an unknown flying human owl in Hoffman Estates. What's ho- oh, what the f- That's in the suburb of the Chicago. An October 19th sighting of a giant-sized bat outside the Edward Hotel in Rosemont, Illinois. I've been to Rosemont. An October 5th sighting of a, quote, tall creature with bright red eyes and large wings. A report from July of a six-foot-tall creature flying over the Plains River near Rosemont. And another sighting from the summer of 2019 by a man who claimed to have seen a large, dark, man-sized bat bird thing. (laughs) (laughs) These are amazing. Uh, What the hell is going on in Chicago? But if you are looking for that, this the article I found about all of those, and there's two parts of it. Let me tell you. Is the Singular Fortean Society, or Singular Fortean. It's Fortean. Fortean. SingularFortean.com. Not Fortean. 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 God. Fortean. Fortean. Let me tell you Fortean. I went to Chicago. Chicago? It was one of the first thing, one of the first trips I ever made by myself. Self? I'm going. 
Yeah, I have, I had tickets to see David Gilmore. If you don't know who David Gilmore is, Gilmore is, shame on you, first of all, and Pink Floyd is the greatest band of all time. Anyway, I had a great experience in Chicago. Everybody said people would be so rude and the North and this, that, and the other. No, I had a great experience. Uh bartender liked me because she was like, you ain't from here, are you? You said, no, ma'am, I'm not. I said, no, ma'am. She said, I said, how did you know? I was like, is my accent that bad? She said, no, you call me ma'am. <laughs> like, nobody fucking does that shit. I said, well, ma'am. Can I have another drink? I'll give me another beer, ma'am. <laughs> So, on that note, we need to do um, recommendations. <laughs> well, I recommend getting a lot of money and sharing it with your two buddies in the in the basement. Oh, man. Yeah, if you, like, you happen to listen and you're like, man, I got all this money. Yeah, if you're sitting around your house going, you know what? I really don't need all this money. What can I do? You can donate it to the you basement. You can donate it to the basement. It I, is the giving season. <laughs> Yeah, for yeah, all I want for Christmas is a million dollars. I'll take two hundred fifty thousand. Yes, but it has to be cash, <laughs> not a check. I can't cash checks. Okay, so my recommendation is you go to that fortian, 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 fortian. Good God! Website and check out all of those. Uh, sightings good because they put hyperlinks on every one of those sightings that I read out. And you can, like, chase that rabbit. But there has been a plethora of sightings at Chicago. I knew Chicago. that was coming. I knew that So that's coming. my recommendation. I can't believe I didn't know about this Chicago shit. Well, you also need to look up the punch in the hole in the cloud cover. That's what I'm saying. I didn't know any of it. Uh, my recommendation is going to be Tiger King, season two. Carol Baskin killed her husband. Yes. <laughs> I... I don't I don't know how she's gotten away with it, but good God, she has. And she did like a uh ask me anything on Reddit really not too long ago. And man, they were brutal, but she she stepped up. She had she answered every question. Well, good for her. Yeah, she stepped up and they're like, you know, they were like the questions range from like, A, did you kill your husband? Or B, if you did, how would you do it? <laughs> <laughs> OJ <laughs> to what's the best way to get a tiger to eat a human being is it olive oil or she said freaking sardine oil on the shoes in the first season I know like the cameraman's like <laughs> <laughs> what'd she say like y'all y'all heard that right like, <laughs> she's like no you wouldn't do it that way if you're gonna get a tiger to eat a human you just put some sardine oil on his shoes and he's just like that was a confession. Like, that was a literal confession she just did. But that's my recommendation. Well, Support Tiger awesome. King. Awesome. Awesome. Free Joe Exotic. He's mad at Trump because Trump didn't pardon him. I really thought he would, though. I didn't. You didn't think so? Hell no. Why? That's so on That's so on brand. That would have been <laughs> the ultimate. That's so on brand for Trump, though. But he didn't. I know, but he didn't. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thanks for sticking with us this last week during maybe our Biden crazy. Will. Maybe Biden will. He couldn't remember it. 
Oh, snap. Here we go. For sticking with us during our uh, migration to Anchor uh, FM for our hosting services. Um, I had no idea about any of it. I, I didn't get any text messages from you, you during this whole thing, which you, I was like, you didn't really, he's like, all right, whatever. You just didn't you better any figure information. it out. Like, but it was the Thanksgiving um, thing. And I will say this. If you ever try to do this, don't try it from your phone. It doesn't work Are we still well. on Apple? Oh, we're on everything. That's what well, I was about to do. As long as we're do. on Apple, we're good, so I can still listen. We're on everything now. We're on Google Podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, I know we're on a tangent now, and we usually wrap it up, but Google Podcasts, I had no idea that we were featured on Google Podcasts. Featured? Featured. We have... Featured? Man, we're fucking big time, dude. I gotta start taking this shit seriously. <laughs> We've had... <laughs> Just in the six months, because I just fell upon this trying to change the feed. Yeah. We have over 10,000 downloads in six, no, I'm sorry, four and a half months just on Google Podcast. Damn. So if you are, uh, if you got Alexa. I do. Say, hey, Alexa, play Mysterious Brews podcast. No shit. No way. No fucking way. Alexa won't do that. Alexa. She's oh, not wait. here. Oh, uh, no. It's at my house. She's upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking way. Let us know if Alexa does it. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. And deuces.